Today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. If you want to open your Bibles there, I'll have, as, as I usually do, I'll have the, the verses up on the, the screen as well. And when you read the Bible, um, I think sometimes we, read, we all read through a particular grid. We have a theological grid, we have a personal grid um, that we, 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 we look at Scripture. And, and sometimes we're reading passages and you're like, oh, that's not my gift, that's just not something... That's just not for me. I mean, that's for, that's for people like Sam, like the really professional Jesus followers, or Jason, or whoever. They're really, you're really serious about Jesus. So evangelism, well, that's, that's for them, right? I guess maybe I shouldn't assume too much. When we talk about evangelism, we talk about spreading the good news, about communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that all the Bible is for all of us. Right, that, that we need to understand it, know it, and apply it to our lives. So today I want to talk to you about winning evangelism. Winning evangelism. Hopefully that piques your interest as you think about that title, right? This is the point. You win at evangelism when you clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. You win at evangelism when you clearly communicate and accurately communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the point today. So this is pretty basic, right? When we consider um, the Great Commission that's been given to the entire church. The entire church has been given this... It, the word great commission, words Great Commission isn't even in the Bible, right? It, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he's with his followers, and he says, look, you know what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And because all authority has been given to me, all power, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And guess what? You won't be alone. I'll be with you wherever you go doing that. That's given to the entire church, and you are a part of the church. So you don't get a pass on this. We'll talk about that in just a second. So, so this is the basics, right? This is the Great Commission. Grace Baptist Church of Hamtramck exists to glorify God by fulfilling the Great Commission. So going back to the basics is important. Reminding us of these things is important. Right? Paul tells Timothy, remind them of these things. And so this picture is a picture of Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi is widely considered one of the greatest football coaches of all time. In 1961, at the end of the season, the Packers lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. One more game and they would have made it to the championship game. And they were dismayed, but they thought, you know what, we'll just do better next year. So as they showed up for training camp, which would be about this time of year, as they showed up for training camp, all the players were thinking, okay, what tech, new techniques do we need to learn so that we can get the competitive edge on the teams this year, so that we can go all the way to the championship game? What new plays do we need to run, right? And, and they were just thinking about all these great new things. And so as Vince Lombardi calls the Green Bay Packers together that first day of practice at, at, at training camp, he holds up a football and he goes, this is a football. Okay, we know that. He says, let's go outside. And they go out onto the practice field. These are the hash lines. This is 10 yards. There's the goal line. There's the goal post. You need to get the football across the goal. This is how you block the very basics. And so they thought, what in the earth? Why? Why? 
Well, as it turns out, Vince Lombardi's strategy was good. It worked out well because they went on to win the NFL championship that year, and then the next year, and then the next year. And then so the basics are important. The Great Commission is the basics. The Great Commission is important to all of us. You guys are familiar with the words. I just quoted it to you. So as we look at the concept of the Great Commission, now, don't, don't think I'm being disrespectful. I'm going to be talking about football a little bit. I'm not trying to reduce or demean the Great Commission in football. So, so in this, this analogy, right, all analogies fail at certain points. Don't come up and crucify me because of my analogy. It's a way of communicating the point. The football is the gospel, okay? The football is the gospel. You need to get the football where the football needs to go. You need to evangelize. Well, this is cool. This has never happened before. <laughs> okay, that's, we're pretty hip, right? Isn't that what they do like in the big mega churches? They turn off all the lights and it's just me. Because <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> so the, the football is, is the gospel in this case. And so we're going to talk about a team, right? And the newsflash is this. You've been drafted. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you become a Christian, you assume the responsibility for winning evangelism. You are on the team. You are on the team. And so let's look at the passage here today that God has for us. I'm going to read the entire thing, and then I'm going to make my point about you being drafted. Paul says to the church at Corinth, as he's defending here, he's defending his apostleship. He's trying to show that how God uses weak people like himself. He uses weak individuals. He uses fragile vessels to accomplish his purposes in the Great Commission. And so Paul says, but thanks be to God who is who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Another way of saying that is leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And and through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So as we consider this passage and consider the fact that, that you are on the team, right here he talks about a, a procession, right? So you're in this procession, and we're going to talk about this procession in a minute. But he says, thanks be to God who leads us, always leads us in triumphal procession. And so there's two ways of looking at that. One way would be that Christ has conquered you. You were a rebel you were hostile towards God, and Christ has conquered you, and as a conquering ruler, he is leading you in procession, in this victory procession, back in the capital city. Another way that people look at this is that the triumphal procession makes you one of the soldiers in this procession, that you are following Christ, the leader, the general of the army. But you're in the group. You are in the procession. As a member of the team, you have a role to play. I touched on this at the end of the first service. Every single one of you has a role to play in this procession. Not everybody is, has the gift of gab and can walk up to a wall and start talking to it and carry on a conversation. I happen to have that gift. I mean, I can just talk to any. It's just the way I'm wired. Not everybody's wired that way. We have different gifts. We have different abilities given to us 
by God. But regardless of your giftedness, you're on the team. You have a role to play, and God has placed you in that role. And regardless you know, of your life circumstances, the family he's put you in, the job situation he's put you in, the school that he's put you in, you have been given the responsibility, we'll see in a second, of evangelism. In the local church, you're not just, not just on the roster, like on the football team. You're not just on the roster. Okay, I made the team, right? When I was a kid, when I was a freshman in high school, all I wanted my freshman year, all I wanted was the jersey, man. That's all I cared about was having the jersey because you got to wear the jersey on Friday before the game, right? And then everybody looked at you like, oh, he's on the football team, right? That was important to me. But you're not, it's not just, okay, I'm on the team. I'm on the roster. That's all that counts. I'll be with the saints when they're called up younger. That's all, that's all I care about. But friends, we've been given a job to do. We've been given the Great Commission. Well, some of you might say, well, you know what? I've heard people share the gospel. I've watched this online. I'm not trained in apologetics. I, I'm not gifted with the ability to think theologically like that and to defend the faith and, and, and to kind of win the argument and put them in the corner and get them where they have to go, okay, uncle, I believe, I'll trust Christ. I'm just not gifted like that. I just don't know the Bible like you know the Bible, Pastor Jay. Well, whenever somebody comes up with this excuse about not wanting to evangelize, to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, they say, well, let's, let's talk about the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. She has this interaction with Jesus Christ at the well. And she understands who Jesus Christ is as Lord and Messiah, right? That's the rock of the church. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and she recognizes that. And then what she does is she leaves that well, and she goes down, and she stops by this little educational center, and she does a seminar on evangelization. And then she watches some videos on YouTube about apologetics. And then she goes back into her village, and then she starts telling people about Jesus. Is that what she does? No, from what the text says, she leaves Jesus, she goes straight into the village, and she creates work for Jesus by telling everybody about Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done. What he's done for me. I've met the Messiah. So if you don't have the desire like the Samaritan woman, my question for you is, is has he done anything in your heart? What fills you will spill out of you when people bump into you. You run into people. If you have good news, you want to talk about it. Did you see that, that YouTube clip? Did you see, see that, that, that new recipe? Wow, they're so good. Wow, that's really great. Did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, they're expecting their third. Did you hear about that? We're, we're, we, love, we love to be the first to give news to people. Is that how you view the gospel of Jesus Christ? So in this passage, you're in the procession. You may feel inadequate, right? But Paul the Apostle, this guy was smart, okay? Really smart. He knew the scriptures inside and out. Fully educated. As educated as you could possibly be. And what does he say? It was sufficient for these things. If he says that, and I'm not trying to make excuses for you, okay? I'm just saying that feeling of inadequacy, right? And that word of not being sufficient really is, very basic is, I don't have enough. I, I just don't have what it takes. Later on in 2 Corinthians, he says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ or God that 
Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, no. Right, again, the context, he's talking about his weakness as a person, as an apostle, in carrying out the task that he's been given to claim anything as from us, but where? Our sufficiency is from God. So, okay, you may feel inadequate to evangelize, but you've got a job to do. Right? Mothers, you get this baby, or young couples, you get this child. I don't feel adequate to do this. I, I can't do this. I mean, what do we... I can remember the first night we brought our child home. Three o'clock in the morning. Diaper's been changed. She's been fed. I'm standing there in her nursery, rocking her going, what have we done? <laughs> How can we possibly take care of this, this life? Well, inadequate. But guess what? God's Grace is sufficient. His power is perfected in your weakness. It's not about you looking good or you sounding good. It's about the power of the gospel through you as you clearly and accurately communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's winning evangelism. Friends, winning matters. Winning matters. Winning matters. Let's remember how I defined winning whether the listener rejects or receives the gospel, you win. God's pleased. It's a win-win. You win and God wins. It's a win-win. Whether they receive the gospel or reject the gospel. When I first became a Christian, I was being discipled by some good, solid believers and some not-so-good ones. And my view of, of evangelism was it's like you're an Electrolux salesman. And you've got to close the deal, man. You've got to get them to sign that card saying they're going to buy into the vacuum cleaner. Anybody, anybody relate to that? That's, that's kind of how I was, I, I, I was trained. And then thank goodness I met a man who said, no, no, Jay. That's not, it, it's you being faithful to clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's all God, right? When when Paul met Lydia at that little river in Philippi, would she have naturally received the gospel of Jesus Christ? God opened up her heart so that she would receive the message of Jesus Christ. That's God's work, right? We're supposed to sow the seed. The parable of the sower and the seeds. Sow seed, sow seed, sow seed. That's why I love the, the name spread the word. Because that's our job, is spreading the word. Evangelization is spreading the word. I mean, yes, eternity hangs in the balance. It's critical. And we'll talk about that urgency in a minute. But you need to take some weight off your shoulders and understand what your responsibility is and what your responsibility is not. Because God is pleased whether they receive it or reject it. So as we consider the, the word picture that Paul is using here in this passage, it's this triumphal procession. We have the Roman army coming into Rome the general's at the lead. I think he's got his hand up like that in the picture, okay? I should have stuck Where's Waldo in there so you guys could find it. He's there like that, right? He's got, he's got behind him, he's got his soldiers, and then at the very end, right, you've got those who are captives now. Those who are now slaves. That's the way I take the passage. But Paul is using a very familiar picture here. Because at this triumphal procession, it's not just the people walking by, what it's the smells as well. Your olfactory lobe is a gift from God, right? It helps you to smell stuff, right? If you can't smell stuff, you can't taste stuff. 
if you can't taste stuff, quite frankly, I'm like, what's, what's life about? I mean, why are we living, okay? Because <laughs> I love to eat. But that sense of smell is very closely connected to your memory. And some of you may be able to relate to this. You smell something and all of a sudden, whoa, you're transported back into time. Like for me, it's like pine saw in churches. I don't know what it is. There's some, in eternity past, there was some contract made between God and local churches that they would use pine saw to clean floors. That's, I walk into a church and I'm like, this, it smells like a church, right? I still have this vivid memory of being a kid, the playground, where they, 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 the, the smell of fresh mulch. You know what I'm talking about? Fresh mulch. And I can remember as a kid, if something happened there on that playground. I don't know what it was. I probably kicked a home run and kicked ball, and it was great, and I was smelling mulch. But, but every time I smell fresh mulch, I'm transported back to that moment of being in school. And so here at this parade, you have incense burning, right? And there were animal sacrifices being offered. And it was very pleasing to the smell, and it brings up very distinct memory. And so Paul is saying here in the text, let's look at the text, let's understand it. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads everywhere what? The fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So you, as somebody who's been drafted, you have a fragrance. We all have a fragrance. Hopefully that fragrance is the gospel of Jesus Christ being lifted up through communication. I'm going to talk about another fragrance in a second. But we are the ones that have the fragrance, okay? Look at the text again. He says, and, and, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. So as somebody who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you have Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is through the Spirit living in you. And so there should be something different about you. But I think specifically here, the aroma is the communication of the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the aroma that's in view here. And so as we look at the text here first, whenever God smells that aroma of the gospel, he's always pleased. What did, what did God say about his son when he was baptized? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He always, Jesus always pleases God. So if you're focused on Jesus, you're always going to please God. Please God, if you communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is always pleased. Or the gospel of Jesus Christ screams the glory of God. That God is holy. That God is just. That God is righteous. That God is compassionate. That God is merciful. That God is love. All those are contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God is glorified through that as you communicate it. That's a pleasing aroma to God. And so you're an aroma, and that aroma really divides the world into two groups. So we need to see the world. There are those who are saved and those who are perishing. Right? Paul quite, quite frequently divided the world up into two groups, Gentiles and Jews. Here it's those who are perishing and those who are being saved. So he says this aroma is death to some. He says among those who are perishing, it is death. Right? A fragrance from death to death. So when you communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, when that person rejects it, what they're saying is some, they're validating a truth. Jesus, you know, if you don't believe in me, then you're telling me, you're showing me that the wrath of God abides 
on you. God's wrath is on you. They are sealing themselves in their condemnation, the just condemnation of God, when they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was having a conversation with Sam the other day, and there are times that we've shared the gospel in this community. And sometimes it's like, we're just spreading death everywhere. We have a ministry of condemnation. Remember Jeremiah's ministry? If you read the book of Jeremiah, the false prophets were saying, peace, peace, and Jeremiah's saying destruction. Isaiah, he's given a ministry. Preach and preach and preach, but they're not going to listen, and guess what? They're going to go into captivity, death to death. But to those who receive the message, those who accept the message, among those who are being saved, he says there, it is a fragrance from life to life. And that's what we want. That's what we desire. We want people to have eternal life in Christ Jesus because they've heard the gospel message clearly communicated. God has opened their heart and they receive the gospel message and they have eternal life. So you can't lose when you communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a no-lose, right? How many of you want to be pleasing to God? Raise your hand if you're pleasing to God. Raise your hand if you want to please God. Not everybody's raising their hand. Okay. If you want to please God, clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with your words. Paul says, make it your ambition to find out what pleases God. Okay, I'm telling you right now. Communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ because every accurate communication of the gospel is winning evangelism. That's how I define it. Again, the gospel is not complicated, but it's important, right? Paul says, of primary importance, the first importance, I delivered to you this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. I don't want to be overly reductionist on this, okay? But, but don't freak out if you're trying to communicate the gospel with somebody. If you get this, win, okay? But I think it's important, as I'm going to tell you in a minute, to incorporate some other things if you can. Because every communication, every accurate communication of the gospel, see, I left that out, didn't I? Right? That wasn't accurate because I left accurate out. That's accurate right there. You would include all the components of it. Every accurate communication of the gospel is winning evangelism. So as you win, though, you want to win well, right? There's sore winners, there's, there's sore losers, there's good winners, there's bad winners. Let me tell you about a team that was bad at winning because they didn't handle the football. Remember back to the football. They didn't handle the football with the utmost care, right? So as we practice winning evangelism, we have to handle the gospel with the utmost care. But who remembers Deflate Gate? You guys remember that? Deflate Gate? So this was, and I think the year is correct, 2014, the Patriots, it was bitter cold. It was up in Foxborough, uh, Massachusetts, really cold place to play football in January. And when it gets cold, it does something to the football. It just gets hard, man. It, it's hard to catch the football. The leather itself is hard. And, and so each team was able to provide their own footballs for the game, right? The, the two teams had agreed on that. And so... As they played the game, none of the other team were the, the, the other team were the Colts. They weren't handling the Patriots footballs. And at the end of the first half, the Patriots behind, the Patriots come back and win the second half. And at the very end of the game, somebody says, 
Something's up with this football. It's, it's kind of mushy. There's not enough air in this football. So what Tom Brady had the, the team manager do was reduce the amount of pounds of pressure in the football by just a little bit, enough where they could actually grab the football and hold on to it better in the cold weather. And as it turns out, there is a prescribed pressure for each football. And so it became scandalous. They didn't take the victory away from the Patriots, but because Tom Brady was behind this, he had to miss the, next, the first four games of the next season. He was fine. All this money it was a drop in the bucket to him. But they didn't handle the football well. Why? Because they were trying to win. They cheated. They didn't win well. And as you seek to fulfill the Great Commission, you need to, as I've said already, handle the gospel with the utmost care. Why? Because it's God's gospel. It's not your gospel. It's not my gospel. It's God's gospel. First Thessalonians, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. There's a whole lot I could say right here. But sometimes in the midst of conflict and trials, we feel like, you know, I've got too much going on in my life right now. I can't be evangelizing people. There's just too much. I'm not, look at my life right now. You expect me to be busy telling people by the good news of Jesus Christ when all I got is bad news in my life? Paul could have easily said that at this point. But the main point here is that Paul recognized that he wasn't going to be like those soft peddlers of the gospel. Those preachers that cut repentance out of the gospel. They took the hard edges off the gospel. They, they, they sweetened up the gospel so that people would accept it. Right? The problem that we have today is called moral therapeutic deism. Church and the gospel has been reduced to we want to make you feel good about yourself when you leave here. Because you'll keep coming back if you do. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Satan wants you to feel good about yourself and not think about God at all. So we have to communicate the gospel accurately, clearly, the way God presents it to us. We have to handle the gospel well. Right? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 4. He says, that's 2 Corinthians. He says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We're not going to do that. We're going to communicate the gospel as it's been given to us, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And one of the reasons that we like to tamper with the gospel is because we think people will accept it better. Oh, if we just present it this way, then they'll be more readily accepted. They'll be more willing to accept the way we're presenting it. And the, the world is blind. The world is blind to the truth of the gospel. The world is darkened in their mind to the gospel. We can't do what only God can do, but we have to do what God has called us to do, which is accurately and clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. There are those people that when they smell the aroma, it's an aroma to death. So let's just do what we're supposed to do for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord. And on that note of not proclaiming ourselves, I grew up in a, in a church where it's like, okay, you share your testimony. Right? They had taken gospel and turned it to your testimony, which is not necessarily bad, right? Because Paul would share his testimony. This is what God had, has done in my life, right? I met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Wham! My life changed. I was given this message. 
to take to the Gentiles. It's not wrong to share your testimony. But you can't share your testimony to the exclusion of the gospel because your testimony is not what God uses to save people, right? For I'm not ashamed of my testimony, for it's God's power to save whoever will listen to my testimony. No. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is God's power to save anyone who will believe. So we have to handle the gospel with the utmost care, but you need to handle your life with the utmost care as well. You have to handle your life well. Paul talks, uh, as he writes the church of Philippi, he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Would you guys say that the gospel is a message that deserves a life that's worthy of it? It is. So ask yourself right now, the moment of introspection, are you living in a way that people want to hear from you? Are you living in such a way that people actually want to listen to you? When you go to work, are you somebody who works hard and does what they're supposed to do? You're not cutting corners. You're not taking breaks when you're not supposed to take a break. You're not halfway doing your job. You're not busy talking when you should be working, right? At home, are you honoring your parents the way you should honor your parents? Are you honoring your spouse the way you should honor your spouse? Are you exasperating your kids? Are you not exasperating your kids? In your private life, are you looking at stuff you shouldn't look at? Are you filling your body with things you shouldn't fill your body with? Is your mind filled with stuff that it shouldn't be filled with? Now, I, I'm not, the gospel is a standalone message. It's, it's, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ saves, but God, Paul talks about it. We're vessels of clay. God has put this glorious message in us, vessels of clay. We're also, we're in the process of sanctification, right? So I'm not trying to set some legalistic standard that's saying, like, you have to be living a certain way, right? You, you got to wear your skirt so high, you have to do your hair just like this, you don't get to listen certain, certain music, you better not drink alcohol, and then you can share the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. You know if you're trying to fool God with your life in private or not. I use this example often. How many of you guys want to drink pure, delicious cold water from a dirty glass? The water may be pure, but if you put that water in a nasty glass, how many people want to drink it? Is the same true about your life? You've been given the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Your life has been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been transformed. You are being transformed. You've been given this privilege. You understand what you have? You have a message that can take people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You have the message that God uses to regenerate people, to cause cause them to be born again, to take them from the slave pit of sin to, to freedom in Christ, to being adopted in the family of God. That's the gospel. You have that. But are you living your life in such a way that people want to hear from you, right? And so, so Paul is kind of relating to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He's defending his apostleship here, again. But we can relate these principles to you and I as we live our lives. And he's talking about Christian liberty here. Now, I'm all about liberty because it's been given to us by God. It's for freedom that you've been set free. We're not under the law anymore. We have Christian liberty. But you can't live your life in such a way as if If the Bible doesn't say no, then I get to say go. I get to do it. 
That's called reverse legalism. I, again, I, I am for liberty. But your liberty must never compromise your ability to accurately and clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you can't communicate the gospel while you're in the middle of that activity, then don't do it. Stop it. And so, yeah, Paul says, I've become all things, all people. To the weak, I've become weak, so that I may win the weak. I do it for the sake of the gospel, right? So he's saying here that I restrict my liberty whenever I need to. And you could say he exercises liberty. I, I exercise liberty in a right way, constrained by God through the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the gospel, some of you may have come up in a very conservative, restrictive background, and you leave home, and you all of a sudden you get this freedom, right? And this pastor's preaching, you know, hey, you know, it's okay to do this. It's all right. It's, that's, that's legalistic. Don't do it. I mean, I get Christian liberty. I get it. But never at the expense of accurately and clearly communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the sake of the gospel, Paul says, I want some to be saved. And so he talks about disciplining himself, right? This imagery of the race. Do you not know that all the race in a race, I'm quoting a different version here, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? He's not talking about eternal life there, meaning that only one person gets eternal life. That's not the point. Okay, He's saying you run well, you run the race well. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we and imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under the control so that I can communicate the gospel. And people want to listen to me. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So we want to win because winning matters. We want to win well. You've got to handle the gospel carefully. You've got to handle your life and you need to live with some urgency. We have to win with urgency. We need to plead with people to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when I give the gospel, I'm kind of I'm focused in on, you know, I, I tend to focus in on, on the level of the intellect, and I move, need to move towards the heart more, right? I'll communicate clearly and accurately the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I don't press them to a response. I kind of leave it in the hands of God, right? Because I'm so... I believe firmly in the sovereignty of God. God's going to save them if he's going to save them, but, but we have to press them, right? Paul called people to repentance. And so we want to win with urgency. And we think about sharing the gospel, God, man, Christ, response. That's how I break up the gospel. We need to make sure we press towards that response because time is short, life is short, and Eternity is forever and judgment is real. There needs to be a sense of urgency. Too often we leave judgment out of the gospel because it makes God seem unloving. If God really is going to judge people, is God really, is he really a loving God if, if he's going to make a judgment and then some people are going to be cast into the lake of fire? Is there really hell? Is that something we really should include in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, friends, the whole concept of perishing is perishing like eternal destruction in hell. And Paul clearly says in Romans chapter 2 
In Romans chapter 2, he says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. The Jews have the law. The Gentiles don't have the law. The Jews are going to be judged by the law. The Gentiles who don't have the law, okay, they, they live like they've got the law written in their heart. They're going to be judged according to God's law. He says they're going to be judged. In verse 16, on that day, that day of judgment, that day, that great white throne of judgment, when God opens up all the books of the deeds and those who have rejected Jesus Christ and trusted in their own works for salvation, they will be cast into the lake of fire. That is the day of judgment. And Paul says, that is according to my gospel. That doesn't sound like good news. That sounds like bad news. Well, friends, you have to understand the bad news before you really understand the good news. Bad news, I am languishing in sin. I can't do anything about my sin. I am separated from God. I am destined for hell, and there's nothing I can do about it. Good news, Jesus Christ died to take your sins away. And through faith, trusting in him alone, you can have eternal life, and you never have to fear hell. But we don't understand the goodness of the gospel unless we understand the reality and the certainty of judgment and the punishment that awaits people who reject Jesus Christ, and that punishment is hell forever. It's eternal, conscious torment. It follows the judgments. It's appointed once for you to die, and then comes the judgments. The only escape from hell is Jesus Christ. And you have to proclaim that good news to people, clearly and accurately, with urgency. This is a place in, in Colorado. It's called Big Thompson Canyon. When I was a kid, 1976, 1976, how many of you were born after 1976? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah. Sam, seriously? Sam. So in 1976, our country was celebrating its bicentennial celebration. 200 years. I remember that was a big deal. We had parades all over the place. People weren't ashamed of the American flag. They weren't ashamed to say that they're from America. They didn't disrespect the flag. They did not say the Pledge of Allegiance. We were proud to be Americans, right? And so we were celebrating our bicentennial. Well, Colorado was celebrating, celebrating its, its centennial, 100-year celebration. And in Colorado, this is a valley between two pretty good mountain ranges. And people were there celebrating for the Colorado's, for Colorado's centennial and having a good time. Well, that evening of July, it was actually July 31st, July 31st, 1976, rain started to fall. Gentle at first, but then it was more steady. There was one state patrolman on duty in, in that canyon that night. Sergeant Purdy was his name. Sergeant Purdy heard the weather report, right? He was privy to, like, the National Weather Service. Not everybody had that. There wasn't the weather channel then. People weren't walking around with their cell phones going, wow, look at that radar. Look at that thing coming. That's what I do. They didn't have that. They're, like, around the campfire making s'mores. But Sergeant Purdy, once he got the news from the National Weather Service, he understood what was about to happen because he had seen floods in that canyon before. 
And so Sergeant Purdy sped through the canyon. He was going from campsite to campsite, pleading with people, please, you've got to get out of the canyon. You've got to go for higher ground. He went from house to house. Call whoever you know. Let them know the flood is coming. You've got to get out. Some people listened to him. Some people did not listen to him. In four hours, four and a half hours, 12 inches of rain fell in that canyon. And so a wall of water, some say 20 feet high, came through that canyon, destroying everything in its path. Thanks to the effort of Sergeant Purdy, who died in the flood, he gave his life warning people about the oncoming flood. Only about 145 people of the basically 3,500 were there died. The ones that died didn't listen. They thought, I know better than that. Like 2 Peter, you keep saying judgment's coming. Christ is going to return. Really? Peter says, remember the days of Noah? Noah said the flood's coming. Nobody believed him. Flood came. Just like the flood came, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to judge And once the judgment happens, that's it, friends. There's no second chance. After the judgment is eternal conscious torments. Lives perishing because they refuse to listen to the good news. See, winning evangelism is also urgent evangelism, friends. There needs to be a sense of urgency as you clearly and accurately proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So lastly, as we finish up, Winning matters. You want to win well. You want to win with urgency. But you win by trusting your leaders, right? God is leading. Hopefully God is leading you. He says in the text, he says, or I say here, he says, as we trust God, God's lead, we are encouraged and strengthened to persevere in the task of winning evangelism. God is leading you. He's the Lord of the harvest. So if you pray to the Lord of harvest, he's going to lead you where he wants you to go to sow the seed, to do the work in the vineyard that he has for you. And so we should give thanks to God. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us. Do you think it's God's will for you to spread the good news of Jesus Christ? Yes, it is. So if you pray according to God's will, did God say he's going to answer that prayer? Yes. It may not be how you think he's going to answer it. It may be you going to 500 people, clearly and accurately communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ, and them saying, that's nice. What can we do next? It may be people repenting of their sins, trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's beautiful. But God's always leading. He is the Lord of the harvest. Great teams have great leaders. Your leader is God. Christ is the head of the body of the church. When I talk about God, I'm talking about the triunity of God, that He is leading us in triumphal procession. He is leading you as you participate in His redemptive plan through winning evangelism. He is leading you, and as He leads you, He's the one who takes the veil that covers their eyes, that blinds them. He is the one that says, let there be light in their heart, and they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not going to go anywhere with winning evangelism that God isn't with you. What does Jesus say? I am with you always. Always. You don't have to second guess. Like, I really failed at that 
I, I tried to communicate the gospel to them, and I kind of got jumbled up in my words, right? You know, sometimes when they share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you, you, you're like Jimmy Stewart facing off with Liberty of Balance, and, and Jimmy Stewart's shaking in his shoes, right? It's, it's an old movie. Jimmy Stewart was a cat, was a, was a politician, had to fight Liberty Valance, who was this known criminal. And Jimmy Stewart couldn't even hold a gun, right? And so he's standing there shaking in his shoes, right? And that's, that's how we approach evangelism. Be honest, be real. That's how we face it. That's how we uh, look at it. Can, can I tell you, there's not one moment in that that God's not with you in that? Isn't that a tremendous promise? I am with you always. And all authority has been given to me. All power has been given to me. I can move that veil when I want to move that veil. I can, I, can, I can open up that mind, open up that heart to receive the gospel when I want to do it. You just do what you're called to do. Just, just to clearly and accurately communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please just do what I'm asking you to do. And I'm going to be pleased no matter what. I'll be happy. So winning evangelism. Winning evangelism is clearly and accurately communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Let's stand together, and we're singing Just As I Am. So, as you consider Just As I Am, this really is a song of you coming to Christ just as you are. Only Christ can heal you. Only Christ can save you. But as you look at the world seeking to evangelize and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. God wants you to be who you are. He wants you, he wants you to learn and grow in your ability, right? But you are a vessel of clay. Paul clearly says that. You are fragile. You're a vessel of clay. I get that. I get who you are. But just do what I ask you to do, and I'll be pleased. Amen? All right, let's sing this song together. You got it?